Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. I got a really wonderful report from uh, Kent Powell in Mozambique. Some of you may not know the history. Been serving there for over 15 years with his wife, Andrea. The mission base uh, been under attack. Kent was arrested, false charges about property lines, etc. Spent time in jail, got out of jail. We were able to send him some money, got him out of jail. Came to the United States, felt like he was supposed to go back. Uh, Heidi Baker helped out there, and uh, he went to court, completely exonerated. The judge throw out the case and said uh, all the false accusations about the land. So, whew, that was a battle. Um, also spoke to Peyton McKeithen last night, called me from uh, Costa Rica, real excited about the team that's going January 22nd. We'll be leaving out and uh, setting up to do both prayer ministry and bring worship. And uh, my daughter Sarah got on the line with them. They're kind of working out some of the song sets to do in Spanish, which we've been doing as well. So praise God, it's going to be a good trip. We're also, welcome the, the couple from Colombia. Welcome this morning. Friends of, of uh, Nico and Diana. And uh, we'll be taking a team to Colombia and Peru, Brazil, actually, uh, working with, and it fits well, I think, with the Kalenda's message out of Charisma about going to the nations and fighting against dark spirits. Uh, 22 pastors have asked us to come and to help them out with all the stuff that's going on in the Amazon region. I'm not sure who the team is yet, but this is going to be a powerful uh, warfare trip. So you pray about whether you're supposed to go to that or at least be part of it. All of you will be asked to be intercessors for it, but you can help others to go on that trip cost-wise. So thank you for that. Got a call also yesterday from Pastor Prem in Nepal. The 105 churches thriving. They've been, he's been going from the Himalayan mountains down to the valleys over to Kathmandu doing all the Christmas outreaches. He was a guest speaker to 3,000 Christians in Kathmandu. And... Um, the church is doing well and thriving, so praise God for, for that and what God is really doing. It's so good. All right. Um, if you'll pull out your outline, I'd like to, uh, I don't know, we'll see how I can get this all in. If it does, it does. If not, we'll carry it over. But I, I felt like the, uh, this being the last Sunday of the year, um, I want to welcome our live streaming audience to join us as well. Get, pull out your scripture. I know you don't have an outline, but pull out your scripture this morning. Welcome to all those. It's amazing to have people from other states who tithe to here because of live stream. So we just welcome, welcome you from wherever you're joining us from. So they consider this their church remotely. Praise God. All right. I've titled the message, if you look at your handout, the year 2020, and it's probably no surprise, 2020 vision believing that this year is going to be a year of greater vision, greater revelation. Those who are really asking for it <laughs> will find it. But let's, um, if you look at the top line there, this has been our Global River vision for probably 25 years. I remember um, the staff went off and we were saying, who are we? What's our vision? What do we believe? And it was probably about 25 some odd years ago, I think we're at, Cape, uh, we're at uh, Fort Caswell and we we, we centered on this, love God, love people, and walk in the Spirit. Now, you're familiar with Matthew 22, when Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, what is the greatest commandment? And he selected two. He said, all of the commandments of the Lord, all of the Scriptures hang on these two, which was out of Matthew 22:35. 35. We are to love God 
with all that we are, body, soul, spirit, mind, and strength. But then he goes on, he says, the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so loving God and loving people are certainly the desire of the commandments of the Lord, but you can't do it unless you walk in the Spirit. In fact, Galatians, this one's built upon Galatians 5.16. It says, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So we know from Galatians, Paul writes that, he, he, that familiar scripture. So you can't really love God, and you can't love people unless you are walking in the Spirit. And even when you're walking in the Spirit, it's a battle. Amen? Come on. 1 Corinthians 13, I just have to read the first verses of that is, the love is, uh, does, keeps no record of wrong, is always patient, is always kind. Okay, there we go. Lord, help me. So we need God's help, but it is still the vision of where we're going. When you break down the subparts of that, well, how do you do it? That's great, lofty vision, but how do you do it? You'll notice that we place, the first, there's five elements here, temple, family, school, hospital, and army. We place high value on worship. We do. Because we are the temple of the Most High God. His presence is what changes. So seeking into that presence in freedom of worship. And so we are the temple first. It's from that place that the family or fellowship is able to, people that don't feel part of something can be part of something. We want to also place high value on family and fellowship. But we're also a schoolhouse. The word will cut. It's a sharp-edged two-sword. It'll slice it right between soul and spirit, Hebrews 4.12. So we have to be a schoolhouse. We have to rightly divide truth. But we're also a hospital. People come in addicted, broken, demonized, struggling, suicidal, depressed. That's why we do House of Mercy. That's why we do prayer ministry. That's why we have prayer certain times. So this time of breaking free as a hospital. But we're also an army. We're going to take the war to the enemy. We are not afraid. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. In 1 uh, 1 John 3, 8, he says, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. In fact, in Kalenda's article, I encourage you to get it, this month's article. He goes on, he says, why are we here? Why didn't we just get raptured out as soon as we were saved? Because you were sent here to destroy the works of the devil. Hello, interesting statement. John 14 says, He goes on, he says, and greater works shall you do, because I go to the Father. How come he put in Mark 16, these are the signs of the believers. You'll cast out demons in my name was the first one. If you've never cast out a demon, you ought to ask yourself, why not, if you're a believer? Well, I don't want to mess with the devil. You just stay over there, and I'll stay over here. Uh -uh, It ain't going to work that way. And so, then he goes on, he says, lay hands on the sick. So we are an army as well. I had two verses that kind of asked the Lord every year, what is it? If you remember, this year, it was in Haggai 1.7, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Evaluate yourself. Paul goes on, he tells us, if we do that and we judge ourselves, we will not be judged by God if we take action on it. Well, this year, we were in, uh, we were celebrating, uh, Nico and Diana brought everybody together, cooked dinner for all of our children's volunteers. So a couple, three weeks ago, back, we're over in the school building, and there was a time of prayer, and the Holy Spirit came in the room. We're all on our knees, all the volunteers, all the leaders there, and the Holy Spirit came in the room, and all of a sudden, my my wife got a word, foundation, foundation, foundation. I'm like, whoa, God, what was that? And you remember, probably three weeks ago, I preached, remember I brought in a cornerstone? 
and I put in a plum, and I put the plum line, I hung it on, the, on my desk here, and the plum line and the cornerstone. And there's scriptures here. In fact, I've elaborated a whole bunch about what this is, but there's two scriptures. If you look at the top of your outline, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 10 and 11, Paul warns them, let everyone be careful how you build. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. There's a whole lot of deception flying everywhere about lack of truth in this scripture. So be careful. Paul warns about make sure the foundation that you're building. And the question really is, what are you building? Whether you're doing nothing, you are building. (laughs) You are building something. And when the test comes, he tells us, the next scripture on that one, I, I like it as well. Matthew, Jesus goes on in Matthew 7, 24. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. A lot of people listen. In fact, somehow we think the mental assent of an agreement to a theological message, I'm good. No, you're not. Unless you apply and walk in obedience to the message, then you are wise. There's a whole lot of folks that are walking around. You know, the demons believe Jesus is the Son of God, right? So belief is just part of the story. So Jesus warns us. He says, make sure anyone who listens and follows is one who builds his house on a strong foundation. And when the storms come, well, if you look at that middle, it says, Jesus, the cornerstone, God is, his word is the plumb line. And I'm not going to repeat this message again from a few weeks ago, but I do want us to understand over and over again, this is the message that's brought from both Old Testament and New Testament. There's a scripture that Paul warns out that will set up, I believe, when we get into talking about some of the darkness that is deceiving the world. Paul tells us, we won't turn there now, but in 1 Timothy 4, in verse 1 through 3, and then again in 2 Timothy 3, he says this, The last days, it says the Spirit states expressly. In other words, there's no confusion about this. Paul says, I want you to fully understand what the Holy Spirit will tell you in the last days. Get it clearly fixed in your mind, Timothy. This will be a sign of last day stuff. And he goes on and says, Last days, many will depart from, some will depart from the faith, not many. Some will depart from the faith giving in to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. That's what King James says. They'll, the New Living Translation says, they'll be seduced and led away in their thinking, but they will give in to teachings that are actually teachings from the doctrines of demons. And that's why, remember last some two weeks ago, some of you were like, oh, that can't be. When people are now in mainline denominations denying the virgin birth, Denying the resurrection, that this book is really nice stories. It's just principles to live by. Oh, no, it's not. If you tear down this foundation, then the house will collapse. A generation from now, if this is no longer the active, inspired word of God, then what what do you hang your hat on? Principles that you believe are fine? No. So we're told that we need to be very careful in the last days. And then 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 here, these are places where we know the foundation is that which is built upon Christ, who is the prime cornerstone. And if that is not followed and kept at the center, 
The whole house can collapse. Turn the page. Building on this foundation, number six, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on the solid rock. When the rain comes, the torrents and the floodwaters rise, the wind beats against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds his house on sand. When the rains come and the floods beat against the house, it will collapse like a mighty crash. That term plumb line, you can envision it, right? I like this statement. It says, Isaiah 28, number seven there, it says, this is a promise of an unshakable kingdom that the Messiah in charge, Jesus Christ, is the precious cornerstone. The Lord builds his kingdom and he will ensure that it is perfect in every way. I will make justice, now hear this, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. There will be no crookedness or sin in the kingdom of Christ. See, the Jews came and they challenged him, and of course, you remember the story of rebuilding the temple. Number eight there, it says, the message came, this is to Zerubbabel, it says, don't despair over small beginnings. God will see that the temple is complete, and Zerubbabel, the governor, will oversee the project. Whoever despises the day of small things shall rejoice and see that the plumb line is in the hand of Zerubbabel. But the one that struck me today was out of Amos chapter seven. See number nine there? This is what he showed me. <clears throat> the, Lord, the Lord himself was standing by the wall it had been built true to plumb, with the plumb line in the Lord's hand. And the Lord asked Amos, what do you see? A plumb line, I replied. The Lord said, look, I'm setting up a plumb line among my people in Israel. I will spare them no longer. He was declaring an end to the attempts to justify their crooked ways. If you heard anything this morning about the warning from the Holy Spirit, Get ready, Claudia's word, get ready. Everything that is infringing, holding back. When the invitation was come to the altar and lay it down, the Lord was setting a standard. He was declaring an end to the attempts to justify their crooked ways. The Lord was setting the standard. God does not negotiate his laws. He does not change with the whims of culture. God's moral law is the plumb line against which to determine right from wrong. Just as the carpenter's plumb is not subject to the opinions or the frustration of the worker. So God's moral standards are not subject to the opinions of man. Wise people are those who line up their lives according to God's plumb line rather than trying to move it to satisfy their own agenda. If that ain't true, can I get an amen? amen? And that is going on big time. And so, you know, there's this place in Scripture. Let's turn um, to Romans chapter 2. There's several places in Scripture. When I say to you, the cup of iniquity... What do, you, what do you get? What's the picture from that? Cup of sin, cup of iniquity, cup of evil, right? It speaks of the cup of iniquity. In fact, we won't turn there, but...
But it's in Genesis 15, in verse 16, there's a word that says, there's judgment that will come on the Ammonites, but he says, but the cup is not yet full, so I will not judge them yet. It goes on in Revelation 18, it says, their sins have reached, this is the queen of heaven, this is that whole thing, the harlot of Babylon, right? The system, the sinful system of the world now has been judged. The sins have reached heaven and it is full. And the cup of my wrath is now poured out, right? So when they talk about cup of iniquity, it speaks of this sins that have been going up. And God is a long-suffering God. Praise God, is he not? And if you look at, this is, just go over and over again in the Old Testament. I encourage you to read through the scriptures this year. Start in the morning and night. Read a chapter from Old New, get through the scriptures this year. Read the whole book. Start there. Meditate on it. You'll be, you'll be wise for it. And, but there's this place, you just look at the pattern of, right, a righteous leader comes in, they're blessed, an unrighteous leader comes in, they start to worship unclean things, and they crash and burn. Two major things, the when the temple was destroyed, Ezekiel prophesied, we're going to look at it in Ezekiel 22, 600 years before the destruction of the temple, the second time he prophesied, but he also prophesied the destruction under Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians. Remember that? So... He, he prophesies, Ezekiel prophesies, says, you people of Israel have opened up doors of sin, and the Babylonians are going to come. Nebuchadnezzar is going to come. Remember, they carried away Daniel and the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, destroyed Jerusalem. They're in captivity. Daniel's there for 70 years, prophesied by Jeremiah. When you see the pattern of sin, there's a cup of iniquity, and I am really, really concerned about the United States right now. I am extreme. We're looking, you know, everyone's like, oh, yeah, wow, look at us. We're making a lot of money. Everything's going. Look, yeah. But look at where we are. Less than 50 years ago, and when you look at the, the hierarchy of leadership, when you have someone like a leader in the kings of, of Israel, 40, 50 years in power, and all of a sudden, God comes. When we look at less than 50 years ago, the United States ushered in Roe v. Wade. Over 64 million babies have now been murdered in the United States. Your tax dollars still fund this craziness. They took prayer out of the schools, and you wonder why we have murder in the schools, right? This is, this is not, there's a time for the United States to wake up and get ready, and there's a remnant. We know God in his mercy he told Abraham, if you can find me 10, ten righteous, I'll spare Sodom. He couldn't find 10 righteous. So we know God is, is a graceful, just, look at the case. Remember Jonah? Jonah, when he had Nineveh, and there was so much sin going on in Nineveh, and they were pagans, and God said, I'm going to send, I want to save the pagans. And Jonah said, I ain't going there. I hate those people. Gets in, and right? You know the story. Gets swallowed by a fish. And then, he, you know, sitting in the seaweed for three days in a whale's belly will change your attitude. You've got a major attitude adjustment when you're being digested in the stomach, huh? So he said, okay, I'll go. He still goes reluctantly. And what does God do? He turns that whole place around. So God is a God of grace, but he's not a God. Who, there is a moment when time hits a place where God says, the cup of iniquity is done. And you better get out of my way. Now, when people like Chris Volatin and... Um, who was the other one I heard this week? When Chris Volatin comes on, and it was uh, oh, Terry, Perry Stone, two messages that you want. When they start talking about, look out, God is about 
to move grace in such a way that it's time. He says, get out of my I looked for someone who would stand in the gap, but I'll go myself. So let me, let me try to put some structure around this. The cup of iniquity. Look at Romans 2. Romans 1, we sit there and we get all upset about those who are in sin. The progressive sin oftentimes is used here in Romans chapter 1. God's anger about sin in 118 goes on and it talks about those who refuse to worship him. They, they worship the creation rather than the creator. Their minds become abandoned. He, he gives them up. They do things in homosexual behavior that God hates. It's an abomination. And it goes, and we, you know, yeah, we hate all that. Yeah, well, then you turn to chapter 2. And anyone who thinks they're going to escape, read this one, Romans 2.1. You think you can condemn such people? You're just as bad. You have no excuse when they say that they're wicked and should be punished, you actually condemn yourself for you judge others and you do the very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others and do the same things, what do you think God can do? You can think you can avoid such things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, patient he is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Verse five, but because you're so stubborn, and you refuse to turn from your own sin, and you, you're storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For the day of his anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to the things they have done. He'll give eternal life to those who keep on doing. That's the emphasis. Keep on doing good. Seeking after glory and honor and immortality that God can offer you. But he will pour out his anger and wrath to those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth. Instead, they live their lives in wickedness. And their, their trouble and calamity is with, among everyone and keeps doing evil to the Jew and the Gentile. He promises that there is this wickedness, there's this place. Now, I believe in God's grace and mercy. You know that. But there's a time when we got to stop winking at sin and making justification to compromise. Now, let me try to jump into here and say, I want to address what I believe are three demon spirits that are operating. Obviously, there's more, but I believe there are three demon spirits that are masquerading right now. And if we need to wake up to what the enemy is doing, Paul says we're not ignorant of his devices. Proverbs 14.12 and Proverbs 16.25 says there's a path that seems right to a person, but actually leads to death. It seems like the right path. Who would argue with this, some of these things, right? And yet, be careful. All right. Principality number one, Baal. Baal worship, you see it throughout the Old Testament, was actually the god of climate and weather, controlled the rain, storms. Today, I believe it's masquerading as the Green New Deal. It started in the 60s. In fact, you go back and you read some of the, the gurus from the 60s on climate change. Florida is supposed to be underwater right now. All the icebergs are supposed to be gone. There's now claims now we only got 12 years left. If you listen to some of the wizards that are claiming this stuff. But what if the scripture is absolutely correct? When Jesus warned in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and Mark 13 that there was going to be birth pains and things were going to get worse and worse, the seas would be roaring, right? The storms would come, earthquakes in diverse places. Suppose God's got his finger on the scale. 
You think the humanism is going to go and form these things and change it? No, they are not. They can't stop what's going to happen. God's in charge. In fact, there's a religion now masquerading, save the planet. Now, I worked for many years in General Electric. They paid me good money as an environmental engineer, right? I am for technology, clean energy, right? I am for all that, renewables, nuclear power. You don't want a carbon imprint? Why don't you go build some nuclear power plants? Amen? Amen. 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 And so we who have operated them know it's a good thing. Yeah, you got to be careful, but so what's the point? Time Magazine, the person of the year, I don't read Time, but person of the year was Greta Thunberg. Worldwide youth movement to save the planet. Now, I'm not against saving the planet, but when you have the Paris Accords that destroys the United States economically, when the major polluters like China and India, they don't have to comply, but we'll shut down our industries, and now the Green New Deal wizards are coming out with, guess what? You can't have cars, planes, got to remake all the buildings, you can't have cows because they release a gas that is not good to the climate. No more burgers. The latest, the latest deception. That's what, you think these veggie burgers coming out of Burger King or not? Come on. We got to wake up to some of this stuff. All right. There's a new deception out that says unless we eat people, the planet will not survive. I'm not. You look it up. This is the. These are. These are crazy people that are thinking things, but they think it's right. Now, you heard me right. I'm not against saving the planet and clean water and clean air. I'm, but let's, let's understand what's really going on. Pull back the veil. It's masquerading. This is headed to one world government. Let me give you some other statistics. In the Pope's agenda and the United Nations agenda, 2030. Go look up 2030 agenda in the United Nations. It is 17 goals to save the planet. In September, a couple of months back, Pope was in, invited the United Nations, Pope Francis invited the UN Secretary General to Rome. And they, he, they were praising each other for incorporating the 17 goals of the 2030 agenda. Last, in October, nine Amazon countries came together and the Pope in Rome had the Amazon Synod. And the purpose of that was to, in the nine nations that are in the Amazon region, they want to preserve the planet, preserve the Amazon. Good idea. In that purpose, in this incorporation of oneness, inviting in, go look at what's being done, this whole ecumenical movement, which is headed to one world government and one world religion. That's where it's going. They brought in, the Pope allowed the bringing in of the fertility mother, the symbol of life and fertility, Mother Earth, which is really an example. If you look at it, it looks like the goddess of the Sidonians from the history. Remember, these demons have been around a long time. They just dressed up a little more sophisticated, right? And so this symbol, they brought in, in fact, there are so many conservative Catholics that are in an uproar over Pope Francis's action. He actually brought that fertility goddess into the church. Some conservatives broke in at night and threw it in the Tiber's River. <laughs> And that guy, and then the Pope had to apologize. But you look at the thing, it's this pregnant female, the fertility goddess. I'm not even going to use her name because that's not supposed to be announced in here. But, that's, but it's, the, it's no different than what we've seen before. 
So where have we seen this principality before? Where have we seen this thing that we fight against? Turn with me to 1 Kings 18, familiar scripture. 1 Kings chapter 18. Remember Baal worship? And remember when Elijah confronted the Baal prophets and the Asherah prophets of Jezebel? Again, I'll just cut to the quick. When we were in Israel, we went to Mount Carmel. They have a a representation of Elijah standing on the mount. It's amazing, where he, he challenged the Baal prophets. You know the story of this one probably, right? The, the point of this is, in 1 Kings 18, look at verse, let's look at verse 21. Elijah stood in front of the people, and he said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If God is the Lord, if the Lord is God, let's worship him. But if Baal is God, let's worship him. And he challenges the prophets of, of uh, Jezebel. If you turn back to that early part in um, 18. Let's look at verse 18. It says, Elijah's making trouble for Israel. Jezebel's all upset. He's called down. Um, the, the rain would stop. and he, So they're hunting for him. So he summons in 19. He summons all Israel to join him. 1 Kings 18, 19. At Mount Carmel, along with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. Remember that. Asherah is the spirit of lust. That's another demon we're going to look at in a minute. It's the, the goddess of war and love and war, but it's not the kind of love that we like, okay? And so in 1 Kings, we see this challenge. You know the story, right? He challenges the prophets. They go first. They do all their dances. They cut themselves and he st- Elijah starts mocking him. Well, maybe, maybe Baal's on the toilet and he can't hear you right now. You know, or, or maybe he's asleep taking a nap. And, and so finally he says, okay, you're done. They're, they're slicing themselves like the demonized do sometimes, right? And it doesn't attract the demons. And then Baal gets his due. Elijah calls down fire from the heaven. First they pour water on the sacrifice. God answers by fire. And all of these Baal prophets are killed. That is the God of climate. What they would do is they would offer sacrifices to the climate God, Baal, that he would bring rain in its due season, that they would find favor in all their crops, that the, the whole system of the climate would be fine. It's a demon God. Now, the devil often takes truth and twists it. Like I said, who wouldn't be in favor of a clean water and clean planet? Come on. But look at what's going on behind it and what is really at the if you think about it, where is the bastion of Christianity still surviving? Well, it's here in the United States and it's in other places. But if the, if the enemy can take out sovereignty, can take out the boundaries of nations that God built, if he can take out Christian belief systems and make it illegal, then what happens? Come on, let's, let's wake up here. And so, all right, principality number two. Before I introduce this one, turn with me in 1 Kings, turn back, you're there in 18, turn back to 1 Kings chapter 3. I want you to see, this, was, this is actually a sobering and scary set of scriptures for me personally. When people start out so well in following God, so excited, man, I have witnessed this. I have walked with pastors so excited, and then they fall, turn away, break off relationship and are no longer following God at all. Man, I, I don't know about you, but I, I want to finish well. All right? In 1 Kings chapter 3, 
Here's this great word, you know, about Solomon. Quick, quick thing on Solomon. David commits sin with Bathsheba. Remember, he was supposed to go to war. He doesn't. He watches Bathsheba take a, a bath because the lust of the eyes will produce things that it should not produce. It opens an adulterous spirit, and it opens up that adulterous spirit. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant, and to cover up his sin, he sends Uriah, one of the mighty men who was very loyal to David, sends him to the front lines, works out a deceptive plan with his general, get him killed, put him in the thick of the battle. Uriah is killed, and they think the sin is covered up, and then once Uriah is dead, he's going to marry Bathsheba. Well, Nathan the prophet calls out David, and David repents. Now, remember this. David repents so fully that he, in the records later, after Solomon becomes king, it says God has remembered David's sin no more. Now, that ought to be good news to you and me. Hello? Right? The first John 1 John 1.9, if you confess your sins to him, he's faithful to forgive you. When we come forward and say, Lord, I want a new wineskin, that old skin, that old stuff, it's got to go. The blood of Jesus is so royal, it will eradicate to the point where an all-knowing, all-powerful God can't remember your sin anymore as far as the east is from the west. Man, if that doesn't float your boat, you're about to sink. Right? So come on, we got to get to a place where we understand what Scripture says, repentance and turning is a powerful weapon. Well, it starts here in 1 Kings 3. Solomon, he is pretty overwhelmed. David has been like this wonderful king. Solomon becomes king, and I love what happens here. Look at 1 Kings 3. Verse 3, it says, Solomon loved the Lord and followed all the decrees of his father David. He even did more sacrifices than David. That's like, wow. He's in Gibeon. He offers a 1,000 burnt offerings that night, verse 5, pay attention to your dreams in, in all your seasons. But in verse 5, it says, that night, the Lord appeared to Solomon. He actually appears to Solomon three times in Scripture. Pay attention to your dreams. That night, he appears to Solomon in a dream. And God said, what do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. How would you like God to ask? Wow, what would you, how would you answer that one? woo well, that Corvette and that, no, no. Solomon replies, you showed faithful love to your servant, my father. David, because he was honest and he was true and he was faithful to you. He was. And you have continued your faithful love to him today by giving him a son who sits on his throne. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made me king instead of my father. David, I am like a little child. Now, listen to Solomon's humility. I'm like a little child in the midst of your own people. A nation so great, so numerous, they cannot be counted. Give me understanding in my heart so that I can govern your people well and they will know the difference between right and wrong. For who by myself is able to govern? He tells God, look, my dad was something else. I don't have what it's taken right now to do what you're calling me to do. Please give me your wisdom. What humility. God gets so impressed with that, he says, in verse 10, he goes, the Lord was pleased with Solomon and asked for wisdom. Because you've asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for long life and wealth and death of your enemies, I'll give you what you asked for, and I will give you wise, understanding heart such that no one else has ever had and will ever have. That ought to be scary in a minute here, because in all that wisdom, he still messed it up. And I will give you what you did not ask for, 
No other king in the world will be compared to the rest of your life. There was such wealth. He spends time. Remember, David had accumulated billions upon billions of dollars. Got all the stuff ready to build the temple because he wanted to build it for God. And God said, no, you're a man of blood and war. Your son will build it, right? And he builds it. He takes years and he builds the temple. And he builds the palace. In fact, the queen of Sheba comes and says, I heard about you, but now it is more than I had ever seen or imagined. Right? He is, he's, okay, move on. Let's go to, move down. Chapter 9, 1 Kings 9. David now, this is, I mean, Solomon now has built the temple. He's built the palace. This is decades later. The wealth, the people have come, and it says, Solomon finishes building the temple, and he wants to dedicate it to God. Verse 2, then the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time, as he had done in the, in, before in Gibeon. The Lord said, I have heard your prayer, and I've heard your petition. I have set this temple apart as a holy place. You have built it in my name and will be honored forever. I will always watch over it, for it is clear to my heart. As for you, now here's a personal warning to Solomon. As for you, if, conditional, you follow me with integrity and godliness as David your father did, obeying all my commands and decrees, regulation, I will establish your throne and your dynasty for, of Israel forever. Look at verse, uh, verse 6. But if, here's another condition. Now he's talking about the people of Israel. If your descendants abandon me, disobey my commands and my decrees that I've given you. They serve and worship other gods. I will uproot Israel from this land that I've given them. I will reject the temple that I have made holy and honor of my name. And you will become a mockery of the nations. You think the Holocaust mocked the Jews? You think when Babylon destroyed, when Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed the temple and carried them all away, they were mocked? You think when the Roman legions in 70 AD came and smashed it, not one stone was left on the 9th of Av, that cursed day that's happened so many times in history over Israel? This is the warning. If, if, if you and if your descendants, it's conditional. That's why the warning over the United States, we have great heritage in this nation. We got some bad heritage, but we got people that have followed Christ. But there's a generation right now going off the cliff. And unless the people of God wake up, stop the compromises, and recognize what's going, and the remnant becomes the ones who ask God to heal the land. But I'm, I'm very, very concerned for where we're at at this moment. Because now it's all about poverty, I mean, about prosperity and about um, economy. And then, okay. He warns us be careful when you become fat, you don't forget your God. Okay, turn, to, turn back to chapter 11. Here's the rest of the story, as Paul, Paul Harvey would say. And a couple of decades later, now, Solomon, verse 1, 1 Kings 11, 1. Now, Solomon loved many foreign women. That ought to make you nervous. Pharaoh's daughter. He married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. 700 wives and 300 concubines. My grandkids said, I had 700 wives and 300 porcupines. <laughs> I think it might be a clear description. <laughs> anyway, I'll just leave it there. But 
In his old age, verse 1, in his old age, Solomon turned his heart to worship the gods, other gods instead of completely to be faithful to the Lord as his father David had done. Solomon worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, that's the god of child sacrifice. We're going to get there in a minute. The detestable God of the Ammonites. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had done. On the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, he even built a pagan shrine to Chemosh, the God of the destroyer, and to Molech, the God of Moab, the God of Moab and Molech, detestable to the Ammonites. Solomon built shrines to his foreign wives used for burning incense and to sacrificing to their gods. The Lord was very angry with Solomon. His heart had turned away from the Lord God of Israel and he, as he had appeared to him twice. He warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods. He did not listen to God's command. So the Lord said to him, since you've not kept my covenant and you've disobeyed my decrees... I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. And that's exactly what happened. You know the rest of that story. The breakdown of the kingdom, civil war pursued after that. So let's look at this demon god, Molech. Number two, child sacrifice. This god, this is the god, if you go through Old Testament scripture, this is where they offered their children to Molech to be burned in the fire. To appease the god, they burned their children in child sacrifice. It's rampant throughout Old Testament. Today, this, scripture, this god, this demon god, masquerades as woman's choice, pro-choice, reproductive rights, a woman's right to choose. Today, you've got people in a particular party that want to make it legal to kill a baby at full term, to actually kill a baby before it leaves the hospital. She can decide. This is what's being pumped around right now, that they could agree, a doctor could agree with a woman, before you bring your child home, if you don't want the child, we'll take care of it for you here. Now... Just a more sophisticated way of dressing up this demon. Masquerading. And yet the scripture says in Psalm 127.3, a child is a gift from God. Amen. Psalm, uh, Proverbs 6.17 says, woe to the one who sheds innocent blood. David in Psalm 139.13, it says, you have made me in all my delicate inner parts and knit me together in my mother's womb. How much of the blood of iniquity of these children has to fill that bowl before God says, I've had enough? But you know what? There's people right now that even in this congregation that stand on the life chain and stand before asking God, getting mocked at, getting fingered by, we've been there, standing there at the abortion clinic saying, look, this is not the way, spending money, sending it to our representatives, Stop the Planned Parenthood funding of my, I don't want my tax dollars to kill one more child. I've written to my congressman, I've, I've provided the monies to organizations, you guys stand in those places saying, no, I believe this is the remnant that's holding back what God would do, but we cannot be silent anymore. This thing has to be overturned. It has to be overturned. And until people get, we can't sit in our little comfort place and not stake, take a stand on this kind of stuff. Demon God number three, Ashtoreth. 
She's the female counterpart of Baal. She's the goddess of love and war. She's actually the goddess of fertility. They used her in temple prostitution and immorality. This is the goddess of lust and pornography, adultery, fornication, sexual immorality, sex outside of marriage. This is the demon that is behind this performance. Today, there are more people living together than they are in marriage. Ever. First time ever. Technology and the breakdown of God's moral law. Now, I want to give you some statistics that just we got to stop winking at this stuff and just deal with it. Let me focus on pornography for a moment. The statistical levels. This is hot off the press as of yesterday from Barner. This thing is becoming a worldwide issue to families. Not just men, but women, teenagers, and children. Here's some statistic. Over 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn sites. There are 42 million porn websites. The actual porn industry, which, by the way, funds and helps to fund the sex trafficking industry. So anytime you want to buy anything there, you're actually supporting the slavery, those who are horrified by slavery. The porn industry revenue is more than the NFL, NBA, and MLB combined. It is more than the combined revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC. Pornography uses are on the increase to marital infidelity. I don't know how they figured this statistic. 300%. When you invite in pornography into your marriage, you've invited an adulterous relationship in, and if you wonder why that demon is now attacking the marriage, it's right there. Don't, God will not be mocked, he says in, he, in uh, Galatians 6. What a man sows, a woman sows, he shall also reap. 11 is the average age of a child first exposed to porn. That was about the age that I was exposed to porn. 56 of American divorces are involved with one of the party's obsessive interest in pornography. 70% of youth pastors report that at least one teen has come to them in the last 12 months. We've had more than that. 68% of church-going men and over 50% of the pastors view porn on a regular basis. That means right here in this congregation, there's folks that are there. 33% of women look at porn sites at least once per month. 87% of Christian women, women have watched porn at some point. 55% of married men and 25% of married women watch porn at least once a month. 57% of pastors say porn is an addiction that is damaging the congregation of the church. Got real quiet in here. I understand this is a tough, this is a tough thing because it's so prevalent. And it's these, these smartphones and all the stuff that's available has, has made it a scary addiction. There's science studies. You can go out and it'll change your brain. You will not be able to effectively relate to another human being if you stay in this. They've seen it affect the brain tissues. It's an addiction, just like anything, heroin, anything. And go ahead and study the chemistry of what happens in it. Between, I don't have the time to go there now, but between 
What happens out, the oxytocin, that's the bonding agents that happen when a mother nurses a child, that same stuff is going on. And the, the high that happens. It's a demon spirit. And when that spirit of lust lands, it, it can destroy you. And if you partner with it. Now here's, I pulled down another seven reasons you should not indulge in pornography. Number one is, it'll send you to hell. Well, now wait a minute, Pastor, what about, what, what, about, what about grace? John is really clear. He says, if you continue to practice sin, the love of God is not in you. Okay? I, I know this is a hard message. We love grace, and, we, and I know I believe in repentance, but it says, let me just give you the scripture he uses. Matthew 5. You have heard it been said, you shall not commit adultery. But Jesus said, I say to you, anyone who looks after a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better that you enter without a member than go into your body to be in hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better that you lose a member than you put your whole body in hell. That's a Jesus red letter word. I don't think he was mixing words here. Look, I'm, we, we need to understand, look, God has given us the spirit of power and love, right? And he's looking for a people that will honor him in such a way that the defilements of our heart have been dealt with. There's none, none righteous, no, not one, including me. My wife, spend, you can spend, my wife will tell you, that wasn't a very nice thing you said this week. And it wasn't, right? Your thought life. He goes on, Kalenda, read his article. He talks about the mindsets of the world. The church has been infiltrated by the spirit of the world. And we've kind of winked at this thing. Well, everybody does. That's just... No, they're not. The remnant does not. We've got to get to a place where we love God more than we love self. And the pleasure-seeking stuff that all of those things... God loves, he blesses us. He blessed Solomon with overwhelming wealth. And he went the wrong direction. That ought to make us very sober about what is it that we're, so that the reality of where we are today is we're asking God to please reveal to us his truth. The question is, how long will he put up with the sin that's piling up in the cup of iniquity? Two more scriptures, Let's, and then we'll go back into worship. Turn with me to Ezekiel 22. We, we often pray this, Ezekiel chapter 22, in our intercessory group on Wednesdays. We want to be the gap standers. We want to be the ones who stand in the gap. This was about the sin of Jerusalem, and Ezekiel prophesied that they were going to be destroyed. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar comes. But when you read through this, the wickedness, the immorality, first there was sexual immorality, you had the priesthood that was all messed up, you had people uh, taking advantage with others, sleeping around, rape and indulgence and murder and dishonesty and bloodshed, I mean that city was a mess, and Ezekiel says, God's had enough, he's had enough, and he, tell, he says in verse 20, I'm sorry, verse 30, Ezekiel twenty-two thirty, 30, I looked, this is God speaking, I looked... For someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards this land, I searched for someone, not even a group, for someone 
who would stand in the gap in the wall so that I would not have to destroy the land, but I found no one. What? Just like Abraham could not find ten righteous for Sodom. Now turn with me to Isaiah 59. Just turn back to the left. In Isaiah 59, another warning. This is where God steps in. Isaiah 59, let's, this whole thing is about warning against sin. They're full of lies. Their mouths spew corruption. It goes on and lists the, the, the stuff, that, the committing all sorts of evil and murder and violence. In verse 15, he says, the truth is gone. And anyone who renounces it, evil is attacked. Does that sound like maybe today? When somebody speaks about truth and they get attacked, it's twisted. The Lord looked, this is in verse 15, the Lord looked and was displeased to find that no justice, he was amazed that no one intervened to help the oppressed. So he himself stepped in to save them with his strong arm and his justice sustained them. He's now clothed in a robe of vengeance, wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. And he steps in. I believe there are these moments where God is just going to step in. So here's, here's a request that we would evaluate where we are, each of us individually. What's your old wineskin that we need to disregard? And as we, at the end of service here, if you want to, take a cup of the new wine. It's water. But we want to ask the Lord to fill these vessels with new purity, new purpose. I'm going to ask you if you would do this. Once a month, our intercessors, uh, we take a 24-hour day of fast. Tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, if you can, if you're led, join me in a 24-hour fast from 7 p.m. tomorrow night until we take our dinner fast with the five churches that are coming together for New Year's Eve. We're going to have a meal together at 7 p.m. in the great room. So you ask the Lord what you're supposed to fast. Some of you, maybe there's a medical thing. You can't fast everything, but you can fast something and ask the Lord to pour out his blessing and his revelation. In that 24-hour fast, it says, my people would come to that place. Jesus even said, when the bridegroom is taken out, his disciples would fast. And we asked God personally, what is it that you want me to see? What is that 2020 vision, that revelation you want me to see? What is it about me? David said, test me, show me if there be any wicked thing in me. And you'll see what, when he even talks with Solomon, David's sin is not even recorded at that point. It's in the Older Testament, but now it says, you're, you're not like my, your father David, Solomon. He turned around and followed me. God's a God of turnaround. I asked the Lord, what is it about me? But then intercede for the nation. He's looking for gap standers who will stand for a city He'll pray for those in leadership of government. He'll pray for the church. Ask God to show you how to pray. What is it? 
when the remnant comes together in a fast, that Joel 2 fast, and calls unto heaven, a corporate fast, there's power in a corporate fast. He said he would rebuke the devourer. He said the canker worm and the things that have been stolen. So, I just encourage you to join us in that fast tomorrow night and we'll break it 24 hours later. So we're going to enter into worship and when you're ready, this is, this is really totally up to you. Just come and ladle a little water if you want and, and ask the Lord to purify, purge us. Let the vessel be clean, Lord. I, I realize we're going to take communion on Tuesday night together with all the churches. But if you will confess your sin to him, he's faithful to forgive you from all unrighteousness. So this wineskin this morning, God, I'm, I'm asking you to set aside everything that hinders, everything that is infringing on your presence this morning and set us free, God. So why don't we stand, just kind of enter into a place of worship, and when you're ready, you come and help yourself.